0: The way you increase shareholder value for the municipal-owned network is for the owners of that network, which is your customers, to feel like they're part of the process. That's how you increase shareholder value.
1: This is episode 255 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Delivering fast, affordable, reliable connectivity is typically the first goal for communities that choose to invest in publicly owned internet infrastructure. There are different business models, and local governments usually hire consultants, like this week's guest, to help them flesh out which model suits their unique situation. Kyle Holofield from Magellan Advisors joins Chris this week. This is one of Chris's interviews he conducted at the Broadband Community Summit in Dallas earlier this month. Magellan works with communities across the nation looking for ways to improve connectivity. In addition to a conversation about public-private partnerships, Kyle and Chris get into one of the areas municipal networks often find unfamiliar, marketing their services to potential subscribers. Now here's Chris and Kyle Hollifield from Magellan discussing public-private partnerships and marketing for municipal networks.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast, coming at you live from Dallas. Well, it's recorded live in Dallas at the Broadband Community Summit 2017. I got with me Kyle Hollifield, the Senior Vice President for Magellan Advisors. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Kyle, I think you might have the best accent of everybody in this field.
0: Well, I don't know what that means, but thank you very much.
2: (laughs) It's a a Tennessee drawl. It's, It's very, very fun to listen to.
0: Well, thank you. I uh, It's nice to know you got assets that you didn't have to work for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, um, quick background. Why should anyone think that you know anything about municipal, broadband, community networks, that sort of thing?
0: I've been in the business since about 1978, uh, believe it or not. And I've uh, been in fiber, optics, and broadband uh, since about 1984. My history goes way back uh, to the first company that actually uh, lay under sea C- Uh, fiber optic cable which is standard telephone cable uh which was the old itt uk we actually uh, spun our own fiber uh, across the ocean uh between uh, europe and the united states uh, back in the uh, mid 80s Uh, and i was an integral part of that whole process so that's kind of where the broadband piece started from the from the operation side and then from there i uh developed a, a, a whole broadband uh a strategy for British Telecom uh, for their marketplace in the United States uh, under different licensing and different OEM-type agreements that they had with, with other companies. Uh, and then beyond that, started and founded my own company uh, in technology around uh, IP, Voice Stacks, uh, in 1987 and uh, until not t- to 2007. I uh, also uh, have worked in municipal broadband uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, for over five years, establishing a very success- helping establish. I uh, had a lot of help establishing a very successful uh, community broadband triple play provider, uh, also doing a lot of middle mile stuff under the old BTOP program uh, to reach out to rural areas that needed uh, some kind of economic stimulation.
2: And you gave a lot of advice. I mean, that's so. I mean, you have a big background in marketing before broadband. You got all this broadband expertise, and and I know you've worked with a lot of communities over the years.
0: Yeah, I mean, my uh, the marketing piece uh, actually came out of Procter and Gamble. Uh, well, fresh out of college, uh, fresh out of the military, uh, finished my college degree, and uh, got an offer for uh, with Procter and Gamble. Which to me. At least in those days, it was like getting a Ph.D. in marketing because they were like the leader, probably still are, in real marketing and spent uh, six years there uh, as assistant brand manager for a lot of very successful products. So the, the general level marketing, plus have a degree in it, that helped also. Uh, then on the community broadband side, uh, obviously uh, spent a lot of time on business development and marketing. And one of the, one of the things that I think really was a huge help uh, for myself personally and also maybe for the industry in some ways – is uh, at the organization I was at, we had so many requests from other communities around the country saying, "How did you do this? Can you help us?" So we began to help people just for free when we had time, and unfortunately, or fortunately, it turned into a business. People kept saying, "Wow, I need more of your time. I'm willing to pay for it."
2: So you're doing a lot of work with uh, with Magellan now and yep. working with cities. And one of the things I've been talking to folks about at this event is trying to get a sense of whether we are seeing, we, we know that we're seeing a massive uptake of cities that are studying this. Are cities actually doing things or are they just studying what they could do?
0: Well, in our experience, uh, they're doing both. And this is a this is an estimate. I don't have empirical numbers because I really haven't studied that part of it uh, to any detail, but I would say roughly about 50% of the clients that engage us to do a feasibility study goes much beyond the feasibility study. Now it may not be a full build out or a full, but it may be they just adopt smart community policies that allow them over time to build a network. Or it could be that they take the next steps of doing a pilot project to see how it goes at least 50% of our clients are going to the what we call the next step mm-hmm. and getting board approval or commission approval to move forward in some ways that would enhance the opportunity to expand broadband.
2: I think some of the people that listen to this show are frustrated at some of those interim steps. And, and I think when we look at history, a lot of people misunderstand Chattanooga or uh, other n- utilities that are in the news, Lafayette, Louisiana. Like a lot of these utilities – they didn't just say, we're doing nothing today. Tomorrow, we're building out fiber to everyone. These interim steps, I mean, you've been in this business longer than I have. It seems pretty common that it's not an aberration that so many cities are starting small.
0: That's correct, because you have to remember that, first of all, they're, they're very averse to risk. Uh, and, and they also have a fiduciary responsibility uh, to the ratepayers, to the taxpayers, and to the community in general. And it's a balancing act because they really have three basic responsibilities. First responsibility is to take care of the community assets in a very responsible way. The second responsibility is to try to have some kind of control over the community's progress in the future. And the third is to try to figure out how to best Uh, leverage the assets that the community has in a way that will create an environment that will allow for more economic development, allows for, uh, we call it a better quality of life. The term has been used way too much, but it Mm. certainly is. uh, But in in things like uh, better education services, uh, better health care services, we see a lot of aging in place now on the health care side, especially in rural communities, and that's becoming really Dependent upon broadband, so those three areas is th- is why they take those interim steps. They want to make sure, as much as possible, that they lower the risk and also leverage the most out of the reward that they would get on what risk that they do take.
2: Now, I don't want to tar the communities you're talking about that are taking these initial steps, but there's a uh, perhaps the fifty percent of the communities that are not moving forward. This morning, I was talking with some folks from an ISP that work with cities. And we were talking about this I want a pony problem, which is uh, something Carol Feld termed, and I think it's a a great term for cities that basically say, look, this is what we want. We want fiber to every home. Uh, We want control of it as a city. We want it to be open access. We don't want to pay a dime. We want you all to build it for us. (laughs) And I'm curious, when you are dealing with a community like that, how do you respond?
0: Well, I would take it further. I, I call it the sparkle pony. (laughs) <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's beyond a <the> pony. Right. <laughs> um, it's a
2: specific breed of
0: magic pony. Exactly. And, and uh like the Great White Whale uh it's 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 very elusive talking about animal metaphors. One of the things that I try to convey to communities who take that approach is that it's very hard to expect private enterprise to invest in something that you won't invest in, especially when you're asking them to carry the entire load and give you some measure of control at the same time. And investment and control go together. And so one of the things I try to counsel them on is, even if you get someone that's willing to do this, the amount of control that you're going to give up, the amount of things that you may want for your community that you necessarily probably won't get, is what, is, is what this is going to lead to. And then the reality is, uh, I can't think of one case or a community has issued an RFI, an RFP, or just, a, or just a press release and said, hey, come to our community. We're great people. we got wonderful opportunities. Uh, we'll help you uh, in some ways. Maybe we'll help the permitting process. Maybe not. Maybe we'll help you with some right-of-ways. But we expect you to put up all your capital and to build a network. Well, that's just not how private enterprise works. And I think that when you throw those hell Murrays out there, it's more of an issue of trying to placate the demand Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to actually taking some kind of action that would be positive for a community and i think that's really the political piece of this that that sometimes we miss
2: oh i think that's that's absolutely right and i've you know, I, I railed against this in my session the other day in which I said, um, this is something I've said about state leaders and federal leaders in the past. Um, I hadn't said it about community leaders until more recently. And that's this idea that broadband is so important. It's It's vital for our community. We need it for the jobs for tomorrow. There's nothing more important than it. And we will not spend a dime on it. It doesn't work.
0: Well, exactly. I mean... Even your personal life, if you don't invest, you don't get a return. I mean, it's just, it's just pure economics. And I think what communities have to look at is uh, the question is, for communities, is how vital is a real, high-speed, very secure, extremely reliable broadband? How important is it to your future? That's really the question you got to ask. It's a very similar question to a water treatment plant. What does that lead to your community, and is it worth a 25-year investment and are you willing to wait, take the long view and say, hey, you know what? This is a long-term investment. This is not a retail sales operation, although it may boil down to that at some point. The reality is this is not where you're going to report to the sh- shareholders every quarter and have a return on investment that makes you look like you're, 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 a, you're a genius in finance. What it really is is a, is a community asset to be shared by the community. One of the things that we do a lot is we do a lot of negotiations with public-private partnerships. Uh, A lot of our clients are involved today in public-private partnerships. What's important about that is the private enterprise world has a certain way of thinking and doing and and working. The uh, municipal or the community world has a different way and two different mission statements. Mm -hmm. The the private enterprise is very simple. We all know it. It's to to increase shareholder value, period. That's their mission. Mm -hmm. Community organizations are to serve the public. So the question is, how do you meld those two together? It's a very difficult process. You've got to understand both sides, and you've got to find common ground in the middle, and it's very, very difficult. So I, that's one thing I want to bring up sometimes. I think sometimes both on the enterprise side and the community side, they're kind of naive about where that middle ground is, and they have a really hard time finding it. So we hope that we can bring some of those, uh, some of those expertise to that process.
2: Right, I've, I've been pretty critical of, I think, too much hype in the public-private partnership, and, and I, I'm sure that you agree. I also think there's a lot of promise, and I think as we work these things out, we'll have models and, and more ideas. But The challenge that I have is, is what the term partnership means at this point. I was at an event, and there was a municipal network, and Comcast uh, competes against that municipal network, but also it's a rural area, and that municipal network buys transit from Comcast to get to the wider Internet. Comcast sponsors the lunch. They're up there talking. Nobody's listening, and and I'm sitting with the guys from this small community. And some suddenly Comcast is talking about how they partnered with this rural community to deliver broadband, and not only doing them themselves but enabling the community to do it with the transit. And the guys look at me like partnered. Like I buy stuff from you. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, I partnered with Delta to get to this event, right? Yeah, <laughs> like I partnered exactly. with Exxon to drive down the street. like." And so, so when we try to track partnerships, we don't see that many of them. And I'm curious, like, it strikes me there's been more, many more attempts than there has been successful real partnerships actually signed on the dotted line and everything.
0: Am I right? You're absolutely right. And, and, and what I spoke to earlier is the reason for that, mm-hmm. that common ground. Uh, a real partnership is both parties have skin in the game both parties can realize a return from the partnership. Otherwise, it is a business transaction. It is not a partnership. So that's why you see so many that are rare. Right. And, and 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 I put blame on both sides of that equation, by the way, because I've worked on many of them, and I can tell you right now. There's often good people on both sides. Oh, and good intentions. Right. But on the community side, municipal side, county side, regional side, governmental side, let's say, uh, one of the big... One of the big stumbling blocks is the political issues around how do we do this in a way that it looked fair and transparent? How do we give everybody a shot at it so that, uh, you know, we don't get we, we don't get criticized for for being a nonpartisan player? But the problem is you can't enter into a partnership unless you are a partisan player. So there's this dichotomy between you know, transparency, which a private company may not want as much transparency as you think you have to give. So on the community side, that's a real challenge for them. And there's ways to overcome it, but it's, but it's, but it's really got it. You've got to think it out. You got to plan it out. It can't just be haphazard and you're going to be attacked no matter what you're going to be attacked because if you're doing a public private partnership and even if always everything's going well, the other private partners that didn't get the deal are going to attack you. And community leaders are going to attack you because the question is going to be, how do we know we got the best deal? Right. Okay. On the private side, oftentimes, because of this demand for shareholder value enhancement, uh, they're too greedy. And I don't mean greedy in a bad way. They're just too demanding, knowing that the community can only do certain things at a certain level. So that's I think that's the main two reasons you find this really hard part. It's it's really hard because there, you've got to find this middle ground where everybody can live and operate in and be partners in. And it's very difficult. That's why you see very few of them happen. However, it is really worth the effort. There's no doubt in my mind about it. I'm like you. I'm very critical of the PPP and everybody hyping it and talking about it when it's so hard. But I take a different approach. My approach is, If it's really difficult, it's probably worth it. It's the ones that are really easy that don't work out.
2: One of the things that that we've seen is people will attack consultants and say, uh, consultants always going to say, you should just build a municipal network. right? And, and in fact, one of the reasons we're talking about public-private partnerships, I'm a hardcore supporter of the right of cities to make their decisions and to build networks where it makes sense. But we all recognize not everyone should build and operate their own network. And so this is an important tool for those many communities where building and op- operating or owning their own network may not be appropriate.
0: Exactly. And uh, I, I rail against those folks that say that our community, our consulting community, always uh, tells people they should do something because they think there's income force on the back end. I really rail against that because if you're a bad consultant and you tell people to do stuff
2: that fails, your name is tied to that we've seen consultants that have disappeared already. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's not the situation where every consultant that, that worked in this space is still out getting new customers. Exactly. Or even should be yeah. <laughs> to well, take it a step further. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is the thing, right. I mean, this is one of the things I love about consultants. You're all very competitive. And so yeah. like, I think every consultant um, has a critical view of every other consultant. Right. And, and that's, you know, I it's think a it's a self,
0: it's a self policing industry. If you think about it in a lot right. of ways, even when we've, been engaged in this, and it's really important. And if, even if it fails, the community has learned a lot through the right. process. They really understand how complicated and what a heavy lift this is. So the next time they take a run at it, they're not a neophyte anymore. They're loaded. They understand what their asset base is. See, that's a big issue. They come to these things sometimes, don't even know what what's your vertical assets worth. We don't know we even got any. Mm-hmm. That's why you need a consultant, right? How much revenue are we giving to the incumbent? And can we shift that? How do we aggregate demand? I, I wanted to bring that up because it's really important because it is not a wasted time if it doesn't work because you're prepared for the next time you have the opportunity. So I, I wanted to kind of uh, you know, really highlight that because I've seen it over and over.
2: Right, I'll, I'll, I just want to second that. I think it's a really good point. Communities that succeed in this are not communities that hit a grand slam the first time up to bat. They are communities that struck out, struck out, and they stuck with it, and they learned lessons, and they figured out how to make it work. Exactly. Moving to communities that have gotten on base, just to, <laughs> let's just push that metaphor, um, they've built a network. Yeah. Now, one of the challenges, and I think you'll agree, if we look at municipal networks that have struggled um, and some that have failed, and I think failed is such a hard word because you're talking about a multi-decadal infrastructure, it could fail for five or seven years and then be great after that. So, but there are networks that have not met the, the desires or the expectations. Right. Many of those, perhaps the majority, I mean, perhaps the strong majority is because of a failure to, as you would say, I think, um, you know, carry out, execute the marketing plan.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, Every client we have that goes into this, and uh, we have three today that are building complete networks that, and we're standing them up for them and and we're doing a lot of stuff for them. And, And when they ask me what the biggest risk is, the biggest risk is not implementing the plan that's put before you and being able to execute on that plan, especially when it comes to marketing, sales, operation, and support. Most of the time, a community has a pretty good brand when they start out, because they already provide services at some level, and 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 we can rail against you know community and government and all we want to, but the reality is, when that uh, four foot snowfall comes, you like to see those uh, socialist snowplows out there getting you to work, okay? And for economic development, it's really important. Uh, You know, you want to be able to turn on your electricity without having to say, I need to meter how many things I can have going at one time, you want to be able to turn on the switch and say, I got electricity I ever need. That's really important. So, uh, so communities as a whole start out with a, a positive, a net positive. Mm-hmm. The question is how to leverage that net positive and keep it going. And this is a really important piece of that, and it's called your brand. And I tell people all the time, your brand is not what you say you are. It's what your customers say you are. That's your brand. And they forget that. They think a logo or a slogan over top of the building is their brand. And it's really not. It's what your customers say about you. Every touch point with a customer, this is really important about the implementation piece. I don't care if it's contacting the CSR to, to begin a service offering. I don't care if it's talking to a knock about some kind of service issue. I don't care if it's talking to a, a person that runs the public relations for the, for the city or for a utility or whoever. Whoever. it is, every touch point that helps define that brand. It's not just the marketing people's opportunity or responsibility. It's the, the entire business. So what I find is the ones that are really struggling, they don't set an expectation from above day one. Hey, we're in a competitive environment. This is different and everybody here is in marketing and sales no matter what their job is your real job is is to satisfy the the client the citizen the uh, the customer in such a way that they say wow i got a lot for my money and that's really the the, the starting point and then you have to actually implement that whole procedure, and you have to have ways to check it and ways to test it and do all kinds of marketing surveys and analysis. It's a continuous. Some people think that once they reach their penetration rate that's in their business plan, they're done. No, they just start. That's the start, mm-hmm. and you have to continue that process.
2: Let me see if I if I got this right, and I'll, I'm going to perhaps overstate it just gently. People hate the telephone company. They hate the cable company. They often really like their local utility, uh, particularly if it's a well-run one, as you're describing. Local utilities sometimes have seen this, particularly electric utilities, um, municipal electric utilities, and they come into it and they say, well, this is going to be easy. Half the community is going to take our services off the bat. It's technically superior. They love us. They hate our competition. Word of mouth. Boom. We're done. That's it. It doesn't seem to work out so well. That doesn't get you the majority of the market. It doesn't necessarily make you get you enough customers to meet your business plan. What's wrong with that approach? I mean, what, what more do you have to do? Well,
0: there's not necessarily anything wrong with the thought process, but again, it's not a plan. It's a process. It's a thought. Okay. And, and so all of us in our life make assumptions every day that don't work out. Whether it's, should I turn right here at the traffic center or should I go straight? How do I get there quicker? Those assumptions are not based on facts. They're just based on our feeling. So it's absolutely correct that utilities and communities and municipalities, ha- you know, have that. And, and you can look at any consumer report you want to look at, and their competition is always at the bottom of the list for customer service. So they have this feeling, well, this would will, this will be fairly easy. But what they don't really understand is this is a community engagement process. This is not selling products and services. You can always have the best price. You can always have the actual fastest speed, okay? You can, have, you can have the best brand, but if you don't engage the community in a way that they feel they're part of this, then you're just another vendor, and you're just as good until the next promotion comes out from the competition. And so that's where the churn – I mean, one thing is things that the, the communities that do it well, they have a very low churn rate, I mean, they're down to 1% churn rate at the most. And churn is where you get disconnects. Um. Constant disconnects and reconnects and disconnects and reconnects. Well, the, the, the churn rate for the, 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 the industry, for the incumbents and for the for-profit business is a much higher. Why? Because people want to see that next promotion. They're waiting for that next promotion. Well... You may not accept that if you're a community broadband. I'm not going to do it that way, but, you, but it's a fact of life. So you've got to figure out a way to continue to deal with that. And the best way to deal with it is not so much to have continuous promotions the way they do, but to engage a community in a way that they feel that they're part of the process. This is my network. I have to, I have to uh, support my network. And it's not always in dollars and cents, it's in a lot of different ways. So you have to put together programs and events and, and a whole uh, overview of the community to get them engaged in that process. They understand, where they understand this is their network. It is not the utilities network or the city's network to sell you something. It's your network, and the, better, the more you invest in it, the more you're going to get out of it. But you have to be able to get them to that
2: point. And this is And this is not where you get to that point. you're done. Go home take a, take a nap. It's, (laughs) it's, it's a situation in which you have to keep doing it. I mean, and so I think as we're running out of time, there's a couple of things that I've learned from you over the years. One, one has been, um, that, um, you need to reevaluate this on a regular basis, right? You're not like, Oh, and it's been another year time to reevaluate the marketing plan. Right. And it's not a situation where you get 75% of the businesses. You can just sit back and, and relax because you have to maintain those relationships.
0: Exactly. You know, a lot of times I kind of relate it to being married. You know, uh, if you want a long-lasting, good marriage, you pay attention to it all the time, right? You don't forget anniversaries, you don't forget birthdays, and survive. Okay. Say two men that frequently travel away from their wives. Exactly, like us, right? (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, I know we both make up for it when we get home. I try. (laughs) But 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 it really is like a marriage because what you've done is you've said to the community, "Give us your trust." that we're going to fulfill your needs in a way that's going to enhance your life and make the community better. Give us that trust. And, and, and we have to earn that trust on an ongoing basis. You can't take it for granted. So, uh, and, and, I, and we don't have enough time today to really go into all the details of what you can do those things. I can just tell you that if you have a really sharp, comprehensive marketing plan that lays out what all that looks like, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and how you continue to regenerate that community engagement in different ways, whether it's, uh, whether it's supporting Boy Scouts, whether it's uh, providing uniforms for the local baseball teams. All those things are, are investments that come out of your marketing budget to where that child goes home and tells their parents, hey, look here, I got a brand new pair of cleats and I didn't have any money to buy one. And from the, wow, I'm going to continue buying service from, that, from the municipal uh, broadband network.
2: You've painted this picture in the past when we've talked about this, where um, the utility may have a marketing program, which they... They have this community fund that that will buy those cleats, and then you know the 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 kids playing soccer, the grandma's watching it. Three days later, the big cable company comes and knocks on her door and says, "Hey, we'll lower your bill." This is a woman who might be living on a fixed income, correct? Right, and she's thinking, "I can't do that to my community."
0: That's right, because what happens, again, like I said, the community has buy-in that it's their network. If you ever lose that situation where they don't feel it's your network, then that's when you start having problems. So that's, that's the difference between increasing shareholder value and providing services for the community. And that's the, that's the two different ways that, to look at it. The way you increase shareholder value for the municipal-owned network is for the owners of that network, which is your customers, to feel like they're part of the process. That's how you increase shareholder value.
2: Great. Well, thank you, Kyle. I've I think this has been a, a wonderful conversation.
0: Well,
1: you're quite welcome, and thank you very much. That was Kyle Hallfield from Magellan discussing public-private partnerships and talking about marketing for municipal networks.
2: Hey, everyone. I just wanted to thank you for listening and and helping out uh, to create a a stronger internet ecosystem, making sure everyone has high quality access. Uh, Please tell your friends, tell others who might be interested about this show. Uh, If you have a chance to rate us on iTunes, uh, please do. Several people already have. Uh, We really appreciate all of the comments. And we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us.
1: We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at Muni Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed to Creative Commons, and thanks for listening to episode 255 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.